Live from WNUR News, I'm Iris Swarthout. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1, Evanston, Chicago. It's Wednesday, October 19th, 2022. Tonight on WNUR News, an update on Evanston City Council's participatory budgeting program. A rerun of last year's A&O blowout performance with Ravina and Willow in preparation for this weekend's performance by Amine. A story on Evanston's Gross Point Lighthouse and a Wildcat Sports update. Those stories and more now on WNUR News. The Evanston City Council is implementing a program known as participatory budgeting, where community members can decide how $3 million of federal stimulus funds are spent. Members of the community organization PB Evanston are working hard to make it a recurring process. Anusha Kumar has the story. With the midterm elections coming up in just a few short weeks, the buzz of voting is alive on campus. But some of us might be asking, how else can I make my voice heard other than just by voting? The answer, participatory budgeting. First developed in Brazil, Participatory budgeting, or PB for short, is a process by which community members come together to determine how to spend an allocated amount of the public municipal budget. The local governing body then funds the democratically selected projects. In Evanston, City Council has set aside $3 million for participatory budgeting. The money comes from $43 million of federal stimulus funds allocated to Evanston through the American Rescue Plan or ARPA for short, passed by Congress early last year. PB Evanston is a Northwestern group focused on participatory budgeting in the form of meeting facilitation and community outreach. Technical director for PB Evanston and assistant professor in the School of Education and Social Policy, Matt Easterday, believes that the impact of PB is twofold, providing funds to uplift the community and enhancing civic engagement. It's directing uh, ARPA, $3 million of ARPA money to areas of the city that really, really need it, especially like for disproportionately impacted people. The second critical impact results from the process of deliberation and decision-making itself. It's giving people a chance to participate in all parts of the political process from coming up with ideas to developing them into policies to voting to getting out the vote. So it's training civic leaders. In addition to members of the Evanston community, PB Evanston has a number of Northwestern student volunteers. Many of them are pursuing the Civic Engagement Certificate. Easterday sees student engagement as a critical component. The goal of the Civic Engagement Certificate in general is to um, prepare uh, students um, to take part in the political process. So this is like this is like a perfect opportunity to do that. Like not only do they get to make a difference in Evanston, but they really get to experience like all parts of the political process, like policy development, organizing, getting out the vote. Um, So it's just really like a perfect learning opportunity for anyone who wants to learn how to make democracy work. This past Saturday, members of the Participatory Budgeting Steering Committee and selected PB supporters met at the Pilot Idea Collection Assembly. 
There, they brainstormed ideas for various projects, many of which focused on uplifting marginalized groups of people. The idea would be to help um, people who normally don't have the means to become entrepreneurs in the sense that you wouldn't have to have a business plan, you wouldn't have to do all of this work ahead of time, and you wouldn't have to worry about making money because the grant's forgivable. In terms of timeline and process, Easterday explains that all ideas begin at idea collection assemblies. Um, the way we've set it up for Evanston is that uh, anyone can participate in these assemblies and submit ideas. Um, at the assembly, we're going to introduce community like what we're doing now. You get to brainstorm ideas, and then we're going to ask people who are interested in like, pushing those forward to become budget delegates in the winter to develop the ballot. Budget delegates are anyone 14 or older who lives, works, or studies in Evanston. They work together to develop the suggested budget proposals into around 14 specific projects. Those projects then receive feedback from the community. Um, right before voting, we're going to do a project expo. So of the like 14 or so big ideas that get on the ballot, um, we do kind of like a science fair style presentation um, to help people understand what, the, what they're voting on. But the goals of the expo process are um, making sure people know what they're voting on, pe telling people about PV so they know there's a vote coming up, um, and then maybe getting a little bit of feedback on the proposals depending on if it happens before or during with uh, the voting. And then, Easter Day says, the fun happens, the voting. Um, anyone who, uh, again, has a meaningful connection to Evanston can vote. Um, we're going to have probably uh, normal traditional polling locations, so you can go to like here or the Civic Center, um, cast your ballot, um, and we're looking at probably about two weeks of voting in the, the fall or end of summer. Once voting is done, the city will take over the, and fund the projects. But at that point, the process is basically over and we get to see the impact in our community. Gus Umbelino, PB Evanston co-president and Northwestern University graduate student, is hopeful for even more. Like our main purpose is to, I guess our mission is to make participatory budgeting a recurring process in Evanston. That is contingent, he says, on ensuring the success of this initial pilot program of participatory budgeting. PB Evanston and its volunteers are working hard to make that a reality. Thank you everyone for coming here tonight. Um, it's really good to see you here and start this For WNUR News, I'm Anusha Kumar. Welcome back to WNUR News. It's 6.08 p.m. Central Time. I'm Iris Swarthout. This Saturday, October 22nd, American rapper Amine, known for songs like Caroline and Red Mercedes, will come to Northwestern's blowout. Before you attend, check out a rundown of last year's blowout performance by Ravina and Willow. Maria Jimena Aragon has the story, with additional reporting by Sarah Cadora. On Saturday night, students gathered for Northwestern's first live A&O Productions concert since the start of the pandemic. The headliners, the angelic Ravina and genre-bending Willow. Understandably, students were eager to go back to in-person campus concerts, and the finite number of free tickets went fast. So fast, in fact, that neither I nor executive producer Sarah Cadora were able to get them in time. 
but our local campus editor, Maria Jimena Aragon, was. So Helen, Sarah, and I decided to document the concert from both inside and out. We are live in the Welsh Rand Arena with our Annie editor, Miss Malia Camaño. Hello! Sarah and I are driving there now, ticketless, but we will have a good time. We are approaching the arena now. There's some buses out front of people getting out. Honestly, it's not that busy. Also, why did they do it indoors? As we waited for Ravina to come out on stage to perform, Helen and Sarah were making the most of their time outside. So what we're looking at is airport style security. <gasps> That's a huge skunk. Oh my god! Can we go follow it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so there's a giant skunk over here. Just ran into the bushes. It was huge! It was like really big. Why am I so scared? <laughs> I feel like it's gonna be a jump scare. <laughs> okay, so anyway, <laughs> what we're looking at is some airport style security, not in like the body scan situation, but like if you have pre check, I feel like. <laughs> So some TSA pre-check going in, scanning tickets, and I don't think we will make it in. But in a few minutes, maybe we can hear music. While we were still reeling from our giant skunk sighting, Ravina was beginning her set inside. Too close to singing right now. I can't hear her. I can't hear her. I don't think. I wonder if we just like walked inside. If we walked around the building maybe? Just like in the vestibule? Yeah, you wanna walk around? What if the skunk sees us? Well apparently Ravina's singing and we can't hear a darn thing. Just in the vestibule. You wanna just walk in? Yeah, just It sounds pretty angelic. It makes me wanna cry a little bit. Please, I don't have a ticket. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, here's here's a large group. <laughs> hey, what are you all doing? We left. Why? How do you feel about that? For those <laughs> listeners who didn't hear that, they just said it already ended. It's over. Can verify it's not because I was about to cry listening to that music. Right now we're waiting for Willow to perform. I am so excited. Not even gonna lie. They're setting up. They're putting some water. The crowd is excited, energetic, ready to wait for her and see the report. So while we wait, why are you guys here? Why are you excited for? We're here because we love Willow. We've been lining up since like four. So. She is my life. I would let her marry me. Exactly. She is amazing. She is a revolution. She is an inspiration. She is the moment. I love her. I love all her music. I'm so excited to see her. What song are you most excited to see? 
Video, so it feels like we're inside. Yeah. Maybe whip my hair. Iconic. the story is yeah you might not be able to get tickets to a concert but sitting outside can be really entertaining in other ways and you might see a skunk i don't think you could have put it better helen yeah um i would just like to say that i had a a really good evening is it different than if we had been inside absolutely <laughs> but in my humble opinion i wouldn't have wanted it any other way i agree well i would have wanted to see willow <laughs> But then, in one last-ditch effort, I decided to test my luck getting through security. Thank you! I did get it. That went from zero to 100. <laughs> she came out and performed her iconic song with my hair. And then everyone started piling up, getting onto the buses. It was pretty hectic, but now we're making our way back to Foster Walker Plex. It was a very exciting night. Not a typical Saturday night you see here on Northwestern, but a good one nonetheless. Signing off, this is Maria Jimena Aragon, WNUR News. I'm Sarah. And I'm Helen Bradshaw. WNUR News. Just north of campus sits a nearly 150-year-old lighthouse, once used to guide ships on Lake Michigan. Now, the Gross Point Lighthouse overlooks a beautiful park and beach where dogs run around, kids play, and ghosts may or may not wander out of the water. Helen Bradshaw ran this story last year, but since October is the month of Halloween, we're bringing it to you now. Almost 150 years ago, Gross Point Lighthouse began its life as a beacon to sailors traversing Lake Michigan. If you've ever looked to the north side of Northwestern's campus, you've probably seen it. But what you may not have seen are the lingering apparitions of a Victorian tragedy. Although the lighthouse was built to guide ships across Lake Michigan, 
According to lighthouse keeper Donald Terrace, its history is truly eerie. Well, there was one shipwreck in, in particular that was the catalyst for uh, Gross Point Lighthouse being constructed, and that was known as the Lady Elgin tragedy, and that occurred uh, September 8, 1860. And there was a passenger steamer by the name of the Lady Elgin that was going from Milwaukee to Chicago, but the weather took a turn, and it became more difficult to navigate. And lo and behold, the ship coming down the lake collided with the Lady Elgin, and it rammed the paddle wheel on the uh, on the Lady Elgin and disabled it, but the Lady Elgin had a hole punched in its side, and it began to sink. Nearly 400 individuals died in the wreck of the Lady Elgin, the second largest death toll from a shipwreck that the Great Lakes has ever seen. Evanston residents and Northwestern students were active in efforts to pull bodies out of the water, but just two decades later, locals had already forgotten where these bodies went, according to author and tour guide Adam Selzer. But the thing is, it was uh, right afterwards the Civil War came up, and it just got to be one of those stories that got lost in the shuffle, I suppose. Uh, They put aside like a special cemetery plot in Highland Park that people forgot about almost immediately. Within about 20 years, there are newspaper articles saying, hey, does anybody remember where this was? Today, the wreck of the Lady Elgin isn't widely known either, not even in Chicago. And according to historian, author, and paranormal investigator Ursula Bielski, maybe that's why Gross Point is a noted hotspot for paranormal activity. So, I mean, the, the first thing is that, uh, according to legend, there's something about Lake Michigan that we call the Lake Michigan Triangle, which, um, you know, it, it leads to very similar events as occur in the Bermuda Triangle. Probably the most, you know, the, the most common occurrence and the one that's most famous in this area is the sighting of ghost ships. The Lady Elgin, though, is one of those ghost ships that people talk about a lot. That was a site where from the night of the wreck, according to legend, there were students from Northwestern that were walking there who were seeing people fully dressed, you know, in Victorian clothing, walking, soaking wet out of the Lake Michigan waters, asking for help, saying that their ship had gone down, saying that many people were lost, uh, and then just vanishing. Most of these experiences are so fleeting. And I think that the Lady Elgin situation is, um, it's a situation that's what we call a true haunting. You know, people always talk about ghosts and hauntings um, and it's kind of this umbrella thing that encompasses all sorts of visual apparitions. It's really an imprint of something that has happened before. We usually have hauntings occur in these very tragic situations. And I think this is probably a good example of that, where people actually were coming out of the water at that time. And the enormity of the emotion, their emotion enabled that event, what they were doing at that time, to be imprinted on the landscape there. I really have found that at these locations where there is no commemoration, that's where you have more activity. It's almost like whether it's the ghosts that are trying to get us to remember what happened to them, or if something in our communal subconscious is nagging at us and wants us to bring these memories and bring these experiences into what our shared history is and not forget about them. As for Lighthouse Keeper Terrace, 
His predecessors have warned him that he should be on the lookout for strange things at the lighthouse. But in his tenure, he hasn't noticed anything yet. I've had lots of people question me about that, and my standard answer is that I'm the only one that haunts this lighthouse. (laughs) For WNUR News, I'm Helen Bradshaw. And now, it's that time of the week. Let's have a look at what's going on with Northwestern Sports with Zach McCrary. Hi, I'm Zach McCrary, and it's time for your NU Sports Report for the week. A look at what the Cats are up to around the NCAA. The 1-5 football team had their bye week this weekend as they look ahead to play at College Park to face the Terrapins this Sunday, 2.30 on Big Ten Network. Meanwhile, the women's volleyball team was busy, having a home-and-away weekend. First on Friday, they met the Maryland Terrapins for 90s night at Welsh Ryan, having an early lead in the first set, 22-19, but the Terps won the next six consecutive points to put it away, and they didn't stop there. The Cats did not have an outright lead in any set for the rest of the night, as Maryland won in three sets. Then on Sunday, the Cats were in Lincoln to take on the monster number 3 Nebraska Cornhuskers. Again, NU had an early first set lead, but the Huskers fought their way back to take it 25-23, and it was downhill from there. Catherine Randorf led the night in kills with 11, but the Cats still fell in three sets. They dropped to 13-7 this season. They'll be at Rutgers next this Friday, 5pm, on Big Ten Network. Now on the pitch, the men's soccer team had some non-conference play last week against Northern Illinois. It was scoreless in the first half, then Camilo Estrada drew first blood for the Huskies, but Cats clawed their way back with three subsequent goals by Dudley, Kimiavi, and Gajadahar, putting away the Huskies 3-1. Then they traveled to Columbus, Ohio to face the number 15 Ohio State Buckeyes. It was a very unruly match, as eight yellow cards were handed out in the match, six of those taken by Wildcats. It proved costly as Ohio State scored two goals off penalty kicks. Kajadahar provided the only answer, putting in his third of the season unassisted in the 66th minute, but they still couldn't overcome OSU, losing 1-2. Cats are last in the Big Ten, with a conference record of 0-4-2 and 2-7-4 overall. They'll be in Martin Stadium in Evanston tonight at 7pm to face the Milwaukee Panthers. Watch live on Big Ten+. Plus. On the flip side, the now 13th-ranked women's soccer team was in Ann Arbor Thursday to face the Michigan Wolverines. Regazzoni, Del Carmen, and Haas all scored, allowing NU to put them away 3-0. Then on Sunday, Cats came back home for some ranked conference play against the number 15 Michigan State Spartans. While Cats couldn't find the back of the net in the first half as Samantha White and Celia Gaynor for the Spartans scored early, Rowan Lappy scored off a well-needed PK opportunity, but it wasn't enough as the Cats fell 2-1. With just two games to go in the regular season, Northwestern is second in the Big Ten at 6-1-1 in conference play and 12-2-2 overall. They'll have their home finale tomorrow night at 7 against the Iowa Hawkeyes on Big Ten+. Sunday will be their final game of the season, playing in Columbus against the Ohio State Buckeyes at 1 on Big Ten+. And finally, the talk of the town, the defending national champs, the number three field hockey team. Cats were away all weekend as they played two. First on Friday, they were in East Lansing to play Michigan State. Benta Bockers is hot as she always is, drawing first blood deep in the first quarter. Hannah Jarvie for the Spartans responded early in the second, but Cats were able to bring it back with goals by Garcia and Halsey, making it a 3-1 victory for the Wildcats. Next, the team traveled to Columbus to meet number 21 Ohio State. 
Annabelle Scoobies was arguably the hero of the day, with 11 saves on 12 shots. In the second, she faced a penalty stroke taken by Sarah Charlie that she blocked beautifully, keeping it scoreless in the first half. Benta again scored first at the beginning of the fourth quarter, the 79th of her career, but Megan McKenna answered just a few minutes later for the Buckeyes, making it a 1-1 to game. Over time, Anna Medina Garcia had a breakaway chance, bringing it deep into the D and into the box for a golden goal winner for the Cats, winning it 2-1. They improved to 12-3 overall in the season, still only 4th in the Big Ten at 3-3 in conference. This Friday, they'll be back in Evanston for their regular season home finale against number 6 Michigan, 3 p.m. on BTN. What a week. I just want to give one last shout out to the NU men's golf team who finished 5th at the Quail Valley Invitational. Otherwise, that's it for your NU Sports Report. For more information about upcoming games, as well as how you can watch the Wildcats live, visit www.nusports.com. I'm Zach McCrary, WNUR News. Welcome back to WNUR News. It's 6.26 p.m. Central Time. I'm Iris Swarthout. Taking a look at the weather, temperatures will dip into the mid-30s overnight, so pack layers for work or on the way to class tomorrow. Evanston's era of gloomy cold days will see a brief peak into the 70s heading into the weekend with partly sunny skies. Winds will stay above 10 miles per hour through Sunday. In the headlines today, this year's One Book One Northwestern's author, Clint Smith, arrived on campus last night for a keynote speech. Smith's How the Word is Passed, a reckoning with the history of slavery across America, highlights slavery's roots across the U.S. and recognizes its impact today. At the keynote, Smith said, quote, History is not about primary source documents or empirical evidence. It's a story that people are told, passed down across generations, unquote. Incumbent Governor J.B. Pritzker faced off against opponent State Senator Darren Bailey in their second and final debate Tuesday night. Both accused the other of being extreme, with Pritzker attacking Bailey's stance on the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol and Bailey attacking Pritzker's views on gender identity and public safety. Polls show Pritzker with a strong lead with Election Day just three weeks away. In Ukraine, Russian President Vladimir Putin has declared martial law. In a Wednesday declaration, the Kremlin placed civilians under the full jurisdiction of Russian military, despite Putin's illegal annexation of four Ukrainian regions. The Associated Press claims Putin's army is faltering after a bridge between Russia and Crimea was destroyed on October 8th, and various Kremlin officials were assassinated in Kyrgyzstan. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and rep reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other stories of the day on our Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. You can also find us on our website, wnur.news. Again, that's wnur.news. 
Our producer today is Alex Harrison, and our reporters are Anusha Kumar, Maria Jimena Aragon, Helen Bradshaw, and Zach McCrary, with additional reporting from Sarah Kadora. For all of us here at WNUR News, I'm Iris Swarthout. Thank you so much for joining us. Join us next time on Friday, October 21st at 6 p.m. Now, back to scheduled programming.